Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, as Sarah was saying, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, a chapter in Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans 12. And really what that gives us, what that shows us, is a guide to Christian living. Um, it's really interesting and hopefully we'll all, we'll all benefit from it over the next few weeks. So I'd love a few to open to, to Romans 12 with me now if you have your Bibles with you and we will read through it together. Romans 12. This morning we'll just be concentrating on the first two verses. This is God's Word. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's what we'll be concentrating on this morning. So when you hear the word worship, I wonder what immediately springs into your mind. In Christian circles today, there is wide debate over how we should worship. Maybe when you hear the word worship, your mind jumps to this scene with flashing lights, a smoke machine and an electric guitar that leaves your ears ringing for two weeks or so. Maybe you picture a pipe organ and a choir singing nothing that was written after the 20th century. Or maybe you picture something a little more stripped back. Maybe someone with an acoustic guitar playing the same four chords around a campfire while everyone else tries to sing along with, without actually a notion of what the words are past the first verse. Now obviously these are extremes and I'm exaggerating the, these situations. But the point I'm trying to get across is that when we think of worship, we so easily fall into the trap of thinking that it is confined to just singing. Some people may broaden that slightly, and, and rightly so, to say that the whole service on a Sunday morning is a worship service. And the priority of the worship in this service is the teaching from God's Word, and this is, this is correct. But worship does not stop there. Worship is not confined to singing, or even confined to our Sunday church services. Here in the first two verses of of the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul lays out the foundation of what worship is and summarises how it is to be done. So let's look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So Paul is speaking to the believers in Rome here. And so it is appropriate for us as believers to apply what Paul says here to our lives. He is not giving specific instructions to these people because they're from Rome. He's giving them to them because they're Christians. I appeal to you. Paul now obviously has something in mind for us to do here. He appeals or he encourages or he exhorts us now to do something. And therefore is a really key word in this verse. The word therefore grounds what is to come with something that has gone before. Any time we see the word therefore in the Bible, alarm bells should start ringing because more often than not, there's been an explanation of something before and then a command or an exhortation soon comes after. Paul calls them brothers, which is very interesting. Paul has been given a God-given authority and a mission as an apostle. And this is therefore why he can make appeals to the believers with such authority. 
However, he realises that the believers that he is talking to are still his brothers and sisters in Christ. For it was Paul himself who said in Galatians that we are all one in Christ Jesus. He realises that what he's going to ask is a big ask, but what comes next is what qualifies this appeal. Paul says, by the mercies of God. Now, when we hear the word mercy, our minds jump to several different things first. Maybe we think of the definition of mercy, which in the context of God is that he doesn't do to us what we do deserve. Namely, he doesn't make us bear the punishment for our own sin if we put our faith in Jesus. And that's another thing that our mind probably jumps, jumps to, that amazing act of mercy that if we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised again three days later, he took the punishment for our sins and our sins will be forgiven. We will not receive the punishment that we do deserve. And I know my mind also jumped to those famous verses in Lamentations where it tells us that God's mercy is in you every morning and that we can rely on his abundant mercy every day. But what is Paul specifically referring to here? Well, up until this point in the book of Romans, what Paul has really done has given this in-depth, theologically dense gospel presentation explaining what Jesus has done and about the gift of salvation. So these mercies that Paul is talking about is really everything that he has talked about in chapters 1 to 11 of Romans. Let me give you a few examples. Romans chapter 3 verses 23 and 24 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2 Therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. (coughs) Romans 6 verse 6 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Romans 8 verses 31 and 32 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 11 verses 29 and 30 For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. And the first seven verses of Ephesians 2 really summarize well what these mercies are that Paul is talking about. Saying you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so then in Romans chapter 12, Paul then says, By these mercies, and these mercies only, will you be able to do what I'm asking of you. These mercies give us the power to do what Paul says, because without the Holy Spirit, we are not even able to do good. Without the Spirit and the mercies of God, we could never do anything that pleases God. Yet through these mercies, through the work of Jesus on the cross, that enables us to do this task. And these mercies also give us the motivation, because our hearts should overflow with gratitude because of the mercies that we have received if we are one of God's children. I came across a couple of quotes that I think are helpful with this idea of responding to the mercies of God. J.I. Packer, famous author, says, From the plan of salvation, I learned that the true driving force in authentic Christian living is and ever must be not the hope of gain, but the heart of gratitude. And in this case, the gratitude for God's mercies. And John Calvin said, Paul, Paul's entreaty teaches us that men will never worship God with a sincere heart or be roused to fear and obey him with sufficient zeal until they properly understand how much they are indebted to his mercy. Paul knows that only because of the spirit inside the believer and the transformation from deadness to, deadness to sin to life in Christ would this next appeal be possible. And he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now this reference to sacrifice would have perked the ears up of the original readers probably a whole lot more than it does ours. When this letter was written, the Jewish Old Testament sacrificial system was still being practiced by many. And many of the Christians in Rome would have been very, very aware of the previous need to sacrifice animals to God to atone for their sins. But when Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, he died as a once and for all sacrifice, as Hebrews tells us. And so why is Paul talking about this sacrifice? Now, we have absolutely no need for animal sacrifices now, but in the Old Testament, there were two types of sacrifice. The first was for the atonement of sins, so that the person would not be punished for their sins. And the second was a sacrifice of thanksgiving, to worship God. And now what Paul is doing here is drawing on this knowledge of the sacrifices of thanksgiving and using it to explain how a Christian should respond to these mercies of God. Paul has explained thoroughly the mercies of God and of course the ultimate and most loving act of mercy there has ever been and will ever be was when Jesus Christ sacrificed himself and willingly died on the cross so that we filthy sinners may call on his name and be saved. And so in light of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, what other response could there be than, than for us to offer ourselves as sacrifices to him? Not so that we can earn anything, because that has already been done for us, but because we truly realise the mercy that has been extended to us. It's also interesting that Paul emphasises that we are to be living sacrifices. 
when sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament, they were killed and then they were burnt at an altar. But as sacrifices, we are to be living. Paul is undoubtedly trying to get across that there is no need for these animal sacrifices anymore. But thinking about earlier in this letter, we can only be made alive by the saving work of Christ, for we were once dead to sin. So we are living sacrifices because we have been made alive by Christ, not by anything that we have done, but only because of him. And so it's also important to note that Paul appeals to us to present our bodies. This response and sacrifice to God's mercies must be willing and it must be wholly submissive. We are to present or we are to yield ourselves to God who has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ and we are not to hold anything back from him. We live knowing that our one hope both in life and death is that we are not our own because we were bought with a price. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 says that we no longer live for ourselves but for him who died for us and was raised again. If you are a Christian, Christ gave himself up on that cross for you and so you are called to yield yourself to him in response. Paul says that our bodies, our our sacrifice has to be living. But he also says that they have to be holy and acceptable to God. And the meaning and the grounding of this is twofold. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So when God's children call on the name of Jesus and wholly put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to them. He covers them like a robe in righteousness. And this means that even though they're still sinful people, God sees us as holy and acceptable to him because of what Jesus has done. So on one side of this, we are holy and acceptable God purely because Jesus has made us that way by saving us. However, we are also called in God's word to strive to become more holy and to be blameless. Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God will like blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul in Romans 6 explains how because of Jesus paying the price for our sins, we are now dead to sin. But we still continue to sin, even though they are forgiven. And so he says this in verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So as Christians, we are on this relentless pursuit of holiness, seeking to kill the sin in our lives and to become more like Jesus every day. And this is what is acceptable to God. And then finally in verse 1, Paul tells us why we do all of this. He says that this 
is our spiritual worship. Hopefully now we understand that worship is not just singing. It's not just restrained to a Sunday church service. But our lives should be presented to him. Presented to God as worship to him. We are called to live in such a way that every aspect of our lives is in worship to our creator and our saviour. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Almost sounds like too much. But if you've truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've truly experienced the mercies of God in Jesus Christ, then no matter how hard this seems, this is a challenge that you will accept with your life. Knowing that it is because of God's mercies that it is a reasonable thing to be asked. But as we learn more and more about how sinful we are, we begin to realise more and more how incredible the mercies of God are. And this task seems more and more reasonable than, than anything that we have ever known, no matter how hard it is. And so then, verse 2, Paul gives a short and succinct summary of how we should do what he's asking us to do. He says, do not be conformed to this world. In the world's a man's sinful state, we cannot do good unless the Holy Spirit empowers us to do good. And we can see even by watching the news or scrolling through Facebook how sinful the world is. The world is full of sin and more than that, there is constant pressure for us to conform to these sinful ideas and you're seen as a bigot if you don't agree with them. One of the most prolific ones at the minute is to liberalise the abortion laws. We were praying for this earlier. And if Christians are seen to disagree with this movement, they're seen as closed-minded and hateful and it can be so tempting to go along with the crowd and to relax our views to make our lives easier. But Paul here says that one of the key ways that we are to become more holy and therefore to live to worship God is that we cannot conform to this world. He pleads with us not to give in to the temptation and the oppression from the world to affirm sinful action or to fall into it ourselves. Because we must remember that if we are Christians, we are dead to sin. We are dead to the world's sinfulness. We are called to leave that life behind because we are now alive in Christ. And on the contrary to this, we're, we're not just meant to not conform to the world, but we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8:29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his Son. If you are a believer, you are saved not only that we would not conform to this world, but that we would be made more and more like Christ as we persevere in our walk with him, until one day that work will be complete and we will be made truly perfect and dwell in heaven for eternity with our Saviour. And how do we do this? Well, Paul says we must be transformed by the renewal of our minds. This word transformed, that means we, we need to be continually transformed. This is not a one-off event. And it's also, it's passive. We, we, we need to let it happen. We submit to this renewal of our minds and let ourselves be transformed by what is going on. But what is this renewal of our minds? Again, it links to the fact that because we are no longer slaves to sin, 
we are now striving to become more like Jesus. Our minds are being transformed by the Spirit. And our call is then to submit to this and to start living according to how our minds are being transformed. Conforming to what the world wants us to do is the easy thing to do. It will make our lives easier in the moment. But if we are called not to conform to this world and that is what pleases God, then conforming to the world is evil in God's eyes. It's also important to note as well that Paul refers to our minds. This is not something we can do without thinking. We will not just make mindless decisions, do not conform. But we will have to have conscious convictions to follow God rather than the world. This is not going to be easy. This will be a constant struggle for us and we will constantly be fighting against our sinful desires to conform to the world. But our encouragement is that God promises never to to allow us to be tempted more than we can handle. And not giving in to this leads to a life pleasing to God. And finally, Paul gives the reason for allowing the renewal of our minds to transform us. He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so our minds are being continuously renewed. And we strive to act on this renewal and be transformed by it. And if we do this, we will be able to discern what the will of God is. As we are made to become more like Christ through the work of the Spirit and this conscious effort to not conform to the world, our minds and our wills will align to that of Jesus. We'll begin to do more as Christ would do. If it helps you, you can think of it like the the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? We are constantly asking ourselves this question. And by the renewal of our minds, we will begin to know what that is. And we will do it more consistently. And Paul tells us finally what God's will is. And he puts it so simply, which is incredible for us. He tells us that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Simply put, we will slowly, by testing, begin to do what is good and acceptable and perfect. We will become and start behaving more like Jesus and we will know God's will to be perfect and it will always be acceptable to us, no matter what it is. And so what is worship? Worship is the surrender of our lives to the one who surrendered all for us. Worship is striving to become more and more like the one who is perfect, by the power of the one who is perfect. And worship is presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice in response to the mercies of God, not conforming to this world, but by the power of the Spirit becoming more like Christ every single day so that we may live live lives pleasing to God by doing what is good, acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you and we come in thankfulness for your incredible mercies toward us. Father, we can not fathom how you would give us so many incredible blessings because we are so sinful. But through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, you made that possible. And Father, we thank you for that. And because we know this, if we are 
Christians here today, we pray that you will help us to present ourselves as living sacrifices to you because that is the appropriate response for the incredible mercies that you have seen and given to us. And Father, I just pray that you will continue to make us more like Christ and that you will help us persevere in this faith so we can live lives pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.